Hello, and welcome to Caverncast. Now, who is the first band or artist that you ever saw live? Mine was Busted. I was ten years old, and I absolutely loved them. Had both of their albums, learned all the lyrics, and how to play all the songs on guitar, started my first band because of them, and just recently I saw them again. Twice, actually, and absolutely loved them again. I actually bought tickets, tickets, good, getting back into the swing of this, I actually bought tickets really impulsively last year, whenever it was that they announced the tour, I bought them for my friend and I, who I saw them originally with years and years ago, whenever it was, um, because I thought that would be really nice nostalgia. And uh, unfortunately, he ended up having to go to Athens, I think, for a publishing thing, so he couldn't come. But I went with another friend who is equally as big a fan as me, and we had a wonderful time, a really wonderful time. I felt kind of bad for the people stood behind us initially because two very tall people turned up right in front of them as the show started. But you know what? Normally, normally I would have felt really bad about that. But I'm not going to feel bad about standing and enjoying myself anymore. Especially when we literally paid to do that. I am so tired of apologizing for just taking up space. So, um, this, uh, this is a new me. Well, it's, it's an improved me. It's still me, I think. I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. Life's for learning. I kind of, I probably would have been nice and swapped with them, but when we looked back, they were just giving us death stares. So screw them. I enjoyed the hell out of that gig, and I feel bad about nothing. Never let anyone make you feel bad for existing. Take up the space you deserve to. Think I might move to America for a bit. I have no idea. I've been in America recently. Um, I've been ill recently. Um, I suffer from these things called cluster headaches that just completely knock you out. I was trying to find a really good explanation for it and how to describe it, and it's basically like brain freeze, but for like an hour and a half at a time. And weirdly, I have come across this strange kind of cure for it I'm hoping so no it's not a cure but it basically if if anyone gets cluster headaches you'll know the pain you'll know what it's like but listen up because I think I found I think I figured something out the brain freeze thing if you start getting a cluster headache it basically feels like someone's jamming a screwdriver in your eye I'm not going to talk about it too much because it's you know this is supposed to be a relaxing podcast but um it's also what i've been going through and this podcast is also kind of about me so i guess it balances out anyway really painful headache 
Um, and they call them cluster headaches because they come in clusters at different times throughout the year. And there'll just be a load of them that you'll get. And then they'll just leave for no reason. Um, and I think mine are on their way out now. But um, it used to be the only thing that got rid of them was caffeine. Because caffeine would like bring down the blood vessels behind my eye and chill them out. But now... If I give myself brain freeze, if I like, I've been chomping down some raspberry sorbet recently, that was good. I bought myself a slush puppy machine. <laughs> I bought myself a medicinal slush puppy machine because it works. If you give yourself brain freeze when you have a cluster headache, and I think it works for migraines as well, it does something where it just kind of overrides the system and cools it down and really helps the headache. So if you're a sufferer of those headaches, of those kind of headaches, do try that because it's, I think it's kind of changing my life and is letting me function like a normal human being. So that's that. That's what I've been doing. And, um, now I'm back and making content again. Um, but yeah, I think I'd quite like to move to America. Feels like something that could be quite fun for a while. I think I'd be terrified to, you know, even break a bone over there and pay like $3,000 for walking into a hospital. But, it, you know, it might be cool. Maybe Canada, actually. Maybe I'll go to Canada instead. I think I just want to snowboard. I want to snowboard and climb mountains. I love how I just said I'd be scared to break a bone and then in, in literally the next breath I said, I just want to snowboard. Talk about a self-sabotaging nature. Anyway, I hope you're well. I hope you are really good. I hope life is treating you well. Um, what, I've also been in Scotland. My um, Talking about hospitals, my, my best friend has been in surgery where they had to operate on his bowels, which is fun. Um, so I was I was up uh, in Scotland with him, looking after him and helping him move house, because, you know, you wait ages for surgery, and then it comes at the most inconvenient time. Uh, basically, funny story, where because of where they were operating... After it was all done, they couldn't let him leave the hospital until he had farted or pooped. Obviously, to uh, to make sure everything was was working, and it took ages for anything to happen. And then one evening, I was visiting him, and from the toilet, I just heard. <laughs> Yes! <laughs> I have never, and don't think I will ever hear anyone so happy to fart in my entire life. It was so damn funny, and I was so happy and proud of him. Really puts everything into perspective, actually. So yeah, so I hope you're well, and I hope your bowels and everything else are moving okay. And if not, I hope you have some ways 
to distract and enjoy yourselves. And if that includes me, then wonderful. I am happy to be here to help a little bit. I know some of you have thought, I've gone. I'm not. I'm here. Don't worry. If you haven't listened to Cavern Cast before, hello. This is kind of it. How it works is I will use... I'll talk for a bit. Say hello. Say what I've been up to. Catch y'all up on the sitch. And then I will use a random word generator to generate five random words. And I'll just have a little uh, chin wag about them. Say what comes to mind, you know. Have a little uh, spitball session. A little, uh, a little soiree of words. And just have a good time about it. While you over there, dear listener, do whatever you want to do. Could be sleeping, could be not sleeping, <laughs> any other activity, could be recovering in hospital. If you are, I hope I can keep you company for a bit and I hope um, you are doing as well as you possibly can be. So with that, I'm going to talk about some words and the first word of today is chess. Chess. Terrible at it. Absolutely terrible I am. But weirdly, every time I'm offered to play, or or I, or I want to play, for some reason, probably my delusional ego, I think I'm good at it. <laughs> like I forget how bad I am, and then it takes me about five to ten minutes to realise I am total dog shite and I am losing terribly. But sometimes, delusional confidence is all you need. Not this time, but sometimes. Um, chess, 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 chess. The production of chess predates recorded, predates recorded history, beginning well over 7,000 years ago. So it's unknown when... Ch cheese. I looked up cheese. <laughs> the production of cheese predates recorded history beginning well over 7,000 years ago. Wicked. Okay. The earliest direct evidence for cheese making is now being found in ex excavated clay sieves over 7,000 years old. Okay. <laughs> oh, I need glasses. Okay. Um, okay. One second. The recorded history of chess goes back at least to the emergence of a similar game, Chath... Oh, I never know how to pronounce this word. Chaturanga. In 7th century India. The rules of chess, as they are known today, emerged in Europe at the end of the 15th century, with standardization and universal acceptance by the end of the 19th century. Today, chess is one of the world's most popular games played by millions of people worldwide. I thought Chaturanga was a yoga pose. Am I wrong? Is it both? What is Chaturanga, Internet? Help me... Oh, I have a, um, I have a beard now. Eh? Uh, I can twizzle my moustache. ASMR. Ta-da! Man. So I'm sorry if, uh, 
Sorry if my uh, my manliness gets in the way of the podcast. I can only apologize profusely. Just so much man. <laughs> um, ugh, don't do that again. Uh, Chaturanga dates back to possibly the 5th century or before archaeological remains have been found going back supposedly as far as 2000 to 3000 BC. That is old. Oh, it's Sanskrit. Okay, this, the Sanskrit word Chaturanga means four-limbed or four-arms referring to ancient army divisions of infantry, cavalry, elephantry, and chariotry. Chariotry. The origin of Chaturanga has been a puzzle for centuries. It has its origins in the Gupta Empire, with the earliest clear reference dating from the 6th century of the Common Era and from North India. The first substantial argument that Chaturanga is much older than this is the fact that the chariot is the most powerful piece on the board, although chariots appear to have been obsolete in warfare for at least five or six centuries. The counter-argument to this is that they remained prominent in literature. Oh, okay, that would make sense if they just took it from a book. The sa in the same way that, like most people nowadays, don't believe magic is a thing, but there is literally a game called Magic the Gathering. <laughs> so, who knows, honestly. So, another usable piece in Chaturanga, this older brother of chess, uh, which I personally think is even cooler than the chariot, is an elephant. So while the exact rules of Chaturanga are unknown, chess historians suppose that the game had similar rules to those of its successor, Shatranj. So it went Chaturanga, Shatranj, chess. In particular, there is uncertainty as to the moves of the Gaja. Gaja is the Sanskrit word for elephant. The more you know. Anyway, so I reckon, right, this is not fact by any means. I'm to This is total guesswork here. But I reckon the moves of these pieces would be... So, like, you know how, like, a knight in chess can, like, jump pieces on the board if it needs to? Because it's a horse, isn't it? Um, I reckon... I reckon chariots can go extra spaces compared to usual pieces like they can go further wait no that well, that wouldn't work because then if it's anything like chess then it would be like wait 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 slow down sweet chariot swing low isn't it yeah <laughs> Okay, this isn't chess. I'm thinking of this like it's adding to the chess we have now. But it's not. New chess is based on this, so it's going to be the same, isn't it? So like a rook who can just go all the way forward or all the way sideways. Or like a bishop that can just go diagonal and they can just fly up and down the board. Right, that's what the chariot's going to be. It's going to be the same as that, obviously. However, I reckon the elephant... I reckon the elephant is the absolute goat of this game. Huh. Look at how far language has come. 
the elephant is the goat. Hmm. And by goat, I mean greatest of all time, not the one that has hairs on his chinny-chin-chin and has eyes in which you stare into and see nothing but the void staring back at you. Seriously, look into a goat's eyes when you next get the chance, and there's some abyss-level shit going on there. There really is. Anyway, I reckon the elephant, or Gaja, I reckon it can just wreck shit on the board. No other piece is going to stand a chance against an elephant. Are you kidding me? Oh, you're gonna you're gonna speed your chariot into this solid grey wall. Have a laugh. A swift swing of its trunk, and the once low swinging chariot will be team rocketing its way into the heavens. I watched Pokemon recently, that's why that is immediately what came into my head. Pokemon man, love it. So anyway, this is my official call to petition to create a petition to add the elephant into the current game of chess. I might just do it, you know? Turn up to some grandmaster tournament with some beautifully carved elephant piece and just set it down front and centre. Um, excuse me, sir, you can't use that. Don't you know the rules? And then I'm like, excuse me, sir, don't you know your history? And then they're like, what do you mean? What does it do? And I just smirk. And then an elephant crashes through <laughs> the wall of the tournament, just goes around flipping all the tables. But it doesn't hurt any people because its spirit is like contained within the piece, which I own. And I, so I control it, so it's chill, you know what I mean? I've basically created a new game here, which is chess crossed with Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> Honestly, I think it'll be a hit. Chess and Yu-Gi-Oh! Chess-Gyo, Yu-Gi-S, Yu... Chugio. Chugio. Yeah? <laughs> Let's go play some Chugio, bro. Uh, the next word of today, wow, how did I get there? The next word, uh, is giants. Okay, fun, giants. There are giants in the sky. Right, do you know, let's talk propaganda. I need to talk about something. I've thought about this more than I should have done. It probably didn't need to take up quite as much headspace as it did, but I feel like I have to talk about it because I have been partly responsible for ensuring the continuation of this truth-bending story, and I am here to set the record straight. I'm talking, of course, about Jack and the Beanstalk, the centuries-old fairy tale that we all know and love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Let me shatter this illusion for you. Right now. <clears throat> Propaganda is information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote a political issue, 
used to promote a political cause or point of view. Now, we all know the story of Jack and the Beanstalk, a poor, poor boy from a poor, poor family, struggling to make ends meet and provide for his poor, poor mother. Things get so bad that he has to sell his best friend, right? A cow named Daisy, not just a annoying person, a, an actual cow named Daisy, because you can't sell humans, just so they can make enough money to buy food. Just so they can make enough money to buy food. Desperate to provide, brave Jack takes a bold risk and trades Daisy for some magic beans. Gonna circle back to that in a minute. His mother doesn't see the big brain moves that Jack is making and throws the beans out of the window into the garden. This action results in the growth of an enormous beanstalk, which Jack then climbs and comes upon a giant's castle in the clouds. He finds a golden egg-laying goose, which would be the answer to their terrible poverty. As Jack tries to return to the land below, the giant who lives in the castle awakens and chases Jack down the beanstalk, chanting fee vi fo fum I smell the blood of an Englishman. Be he alive or be he dead, I'll grind his bones to make my bread. In exactly that melody. Jack then makes it down the beanstalk with the goose and takes powerful swings at the beanstalk with an axe, chopping it down, sending the giant flying to his grisly end. And Jack and his mother live happily ever after, right? Wrong. Let's look at this story again, shall we? Jack and the Beanstalk or the story of Jack Spriggins and the Enchanted Bean, written in 1734 by J. Roberts, is the story of Jack. Yes, poor, poor family. Has to go out and sell his best mate, Daisy the Cow, in return for money, so his mother can actually eat. That's true. Gets swindled. Buys beans instead. Idiotic. Instead of money to buy actual food, his mum chucks the beans out the window, which is the only reason they grow. Jack probably would have eaten them, which probably would have resulted in like a beanstalk bursting out of his stomach. Again, idiot. Beanstalk grows. He climbs it. Then he just steals. He steals what is definitely not his. It's not some wild chicken roaming around. It's a golden egg-laying goose. I was going to say golden goose-laying egg. Golden egg-laying goose in someone else's castle. The owner of which, rightfully pissed, <laughs> and just and chases the thief down the beanstalk. Then Jack just fucking kills him. <laughs> Do you know what I'm... Grand larceny and murder without even a second thought, and then is heralded as a saviour. Come on, it's not as if the giant was terrorising the land below. He was happy in his, in his sky castle. This story has been twisted within an inch of its life, and I won't stand for it any longer. 
Could you remember I said I was responsible for perpetuating this lie? I played Jack. I embodied that criminal's character and told his story. The guilt I feel is second to none. And I can only apologize for the rest of my life and try and make it right. It was the first play I was ever in. Actually, that's a lie. The, f <laughs> the first play I was ever in was called Barney. Barney the Mouse. And it was a B-side to the nativity story in which a mouse called Barney, me, lives quite a nice, peaceful life in a stable and then proceeds to get rudely interrupted by the Son of God being born. <laughs> but I was like six, so that doesn't really count. It also makes me seem like a really spoiled kid who needed so much attention that he just got his own story created to go alongside the actual nativity. Imagine thinking your story is as important as Jesus's. Couldn't be me. Could not be me. Imagine. Anyway, I have to set the record straight and make up for this jack lie I've perpetuated. So, let it be known that I heartily apologize for my part in this and humbly beg your forgiveness. I hope I receive it. Now, in the spirit of all sides being heard, because fair is fair, there is a version of this tale which supposedly tells of a backstory in which the giant actually stole the riches from Jack's father years ago and killed him. So the story is about Jack taking revenge. But I'm dubious. Listen, influencers these days try to spin stories and they get caught all the time. And that's with access to the internet. So I wouldn't put it past Jack to try and spin some lie. Or it's a tale that his mother spun to explain to Jack about why his father isn't around anymore. He actually just ran off with the milkmaid. Mm-hmm. And the money. But she told Jack, Oh, sweetheart, he was killed by a... A giant. Yes, a giant. Who st stole all the money. Oh, what a shame. Can you imagine her surprise when a giant comes hurtling towards the earth and lands in her back garden, dead? That's manifesting. Anyway, all these tales have culminated in researchers at Durham University and Universidad de Nova de Lisboa there, deciding that the story originated more than five millennia ago based on a widespread archaic story form which is now classified by folklorists as ATU-328, the boy who stole the ogre's treasure. So you can spin it as much as you want. Jack is an asshole and a criminal. And the moral of the story? Be honest, bro. And don't crime. Realistically, the whole thing could have just been one big psychedelic trip from those beans as well. 
Just saying. Just saying. That was a very passionate part of the podcast. I hope it comes out okay and it's not too unrelaxing, but it needed to be said. It needed to be said. The next word of today is trunk. Not elephant trunk like we've just spoken about. Well, it could be, I guess. And I've already spoken about it. Oh God, what do I do? Um, I never quite know how I'm going to feel before I start recording these podcasts, but I hope you're having a good time. So drunk is the next word. Bring it down a little bit. Um, I'm going to tell you a little story of something that, something that happened recently where I thought I was walking into the worst stereotype ever. So like I said, I've been in America for a while. It was a long overdue trip. I have family over there and haven't been over there in nearly 10 years. A lot of family I hadn't met, so that was the plan this time. Um, I went over at the beginning of September, and for those of you who don't know, there is a holiday in the US called Labor Day. Now, Labor Day is a national holiday that happens every year on the first Monday of September as a celebration of the social and the economic movements and achievements of uh, American workers. Labor, work, laboring, working. Yes, see? Because they can't really call it work day. That doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't really work. Oh, funny guy. The holiday is rooted in the late 19th century when labor activists pushed for a federal holiday to recognize all the contributions workers have made to America's strength, prosperity, and well-being. And it's widely seen as like the end of the summer. So everyone sort of has their big blowouts then, and it's all wonderful, it's all fun, and I was there for it this year, and I met a lot of extended family when I was there. Here's a big tip, if, you're, if you ever have to meet a lot of people and you're terrified about remembering names, write them down. Seriously, dude, if, if I learn a load of people's names, I will not remember them for love nor money. Write them down. They're just in there then. Ta-da! For anyone a little bit neurodivergent, I think it helps. I mean, it helps for anybody, but I know what my brain's like. Because I am also not used to big families. My family is very, very small. So this was like, whoa, let's do some breathing techers. Shall we? I think that'll be a good idea. In through the nose and out through the mouth. Um, anyway, this Labor Day, I ended up with some of the family at a lake house in the Midwest of America. New experience for me. Never been to a lake house. Already quite movie-esque, because that's my only point of reference. The sun was shining. The lake was glistening. There was music. And they were all sober and already louder than all British people 
that I know when they're drunk. So little reserved me was already uh, feeling some type of way. Okay. Now, this wasn't the most diverse group of people in the world. So let me tell you, when I was getting changed to go swimming in the very refreshing looking lake, putting my clothes and towel down, and I suddenly hear the patriarch of the family, an incredibly smiley man in his 70s named Chuck, call out to me the question, Do you know what a chigger is? My anxious, overstimulated brain took a little longer than an instant to process the word that he actually said. Oh God, the stereotype has gone bad. The stereotype has gone bad. Really bad. You know when you're having a really fun dream and then all of a sudden it turns into a nightmare? Yeah, that. That's what I was feeling. An old Chuck said it with his whole damn chest. So, in that accent. So, after what felt like an eternity, in my mind, my only response was, Huh? His reply to that, Them chiggers are gonna bite you if you're not careful. Now even more confused, I respond, Whatever do you mean? in my most non-racist British voice. Turns out, wonderful listeners, chiggers are the name for these tiny red bugs that live in woodland that leave small itchy bites on your skin. So when I had put my clothes down on this tree trunk, there we go, there's the word, just in case you were wondering where this was going, helpful not racist chuck had seen me do this being the ill-educated british boy i am and was merely warning me of the perils of lake wildlife took a very long exhale after that what he didn't warn me about though was the snake that i saw in the water when i went swimming in it so thanks for nothing, Chuck. Wonderful family. Terrible advice. No, the whole family was great. It was really nice to be around that much positivity. And it didn't feel fake either, which was nice. And even if it did, like, it was still good enough to have a really good day. So, screw it. Happy Labor Day. And then we had a big American barbecue. They sang the national anthem which perpetuated the stereotype even more. And then they asked me to sing my national anthem, which I could barely remember. So, patriotism is not my thing, apparently. A very interesting day for little old me. Got asked about tea and fish and chips a lot as well. America. Next we have Tangy. 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 I was having an argument with my friend the other day about MSG, not Madison Square Garden, uh, monosodium glutamate. 
Now, monosodium glutamate is an ingredient, uh, well, it's a flavor enhancer, really, that is uh, sometimes uh, it's added to certain foods to make them tastier, but the raw form of it is found naturally in some foods as well. A lot of people think it's bad, but it's really not that bad, and it, it gets a bad rap. But the effect it has is that it, it gives food a really, like, Moorish flavor that just makes you want to keep chowing down is really good. And I, I was having a debate with my friend that food that we would, that would be described as having a, uh, an umami flavor were the ones with MSG in them or, you know, the raw form of MSG. Not monosodium glutamate, just sodium glutamate, I think it's called. Anyway, and she was like, nah -uh. and I was like, yaha, and you might be asking, what the hell is umami? Well, you know about salty, bitter, sweet, sour, those tastes, right? The secret fifth flavor, I don't know why I called it a secret, it's not a secret, <laughs> it's umami. The, the fifth flavor is umami, and it's that really savory, it, it's kind of salty, but not really, uh, flavor that it's just like, mm, god damn, that's tasty. It's that kind of thing, and sodium glutamate is what gives that umami flavor, because it naturally occurs in foods like... Tomatoes, cheese, mushrooms, big on mushrooms actually, uh, certain meats and fish, and it just gives that really tasty flavor. Monosodium glutamate, more like monosodium glutamate, that is delicious, give me more please. <laughs> so we googled it and that is what it is, and I was right, like always. Technically, it's, yeah, it's it's not monosodium glutamate that is naturally occurring. Um, it's just sodium glutamate. I've already said that. I'm repeating myself now, but don't be coming at me contesting my knowledge of tasty food. I have that shit down on lock. I know my tasty foods, people. I know my tasty foods. But yeah, MSG gets a bad rap and it doesn't need to. It's not that bad. It's definitely not as bad as most of the crap that gets put in food these days anyway. And if that wasn't proof enough that I am right, there is a Japanese scientist called Kikune Ikeda who discovered, kind of, well, he didn't invent umami, but he kind of discovered it as a thing. Um, and then also was the creator of monosodium glutamate um, because after discovering that sodium glutamate was responsible for the umami taste of some of his favorite foods, Ikeda made monosodium glutamate into a seasoning so he could just add umami to basically everything and make everything a little bit tastier that was a waffly bit i'm sorry i don't know where my head went there um and this is about tangy not umami my mind just went tangy flavor taste buds umami but i was um i was definitely a tangy kid i didn't taste weird or anything well, actually, I probably did with the amount of shite I put into my body. But I loved foods that would 
just make you just yum 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 yum. Do you know what I mean? Like, what was there? Monster Munch, man. Pickled onion monster munch. Pickled onion monster munch may have been my ride or die since I was a kid. Did it make my breath smell? Yes. Was it worth it? Absolutely. No question about it. What else? Knickknacks. Pineapple. Oh man, my granddad used to grow gooseberries and rhubarb in his allotment when I was really little. Um, and I reckon that's where I got the, the penchant for tangy food from. Also a very good word, penchant. Have I spoken about that before? Penchant. I love it. A strong or habitual liking for something or tendency to do something. It, the example online it gives is he has a strong penchant for adopting stray dogs, which I can definitely see in my future. I've come across quite a few stray dogs in my lifetime. Well, I, I thought they were stray anyway and thought I was about to get a new best friend, but it turns out they were just lost and I reluctantly reunited them with their owners after a little bit of searching. Life is unfair. I should watch Malcolm in the Middle again. Tangy things are nice, though. Makes your brain go zzz. I feel like, you know, I was talking about brain freeze earlier. This is like brain tang. Zzz. Instead of, ow, it's zzz. It's much better. Okay, I have nothing else to say on tangy. That was a waffly word. But the last word is comfort. Which is a wonderful thing. Comfort is a wonderful thing. I love it. I hopefully provide it. It's very, it's a very important thing for recharging, revitalizing, resting, the three R's. It can also be very easy to stay there. I've had this thing my whole life where I never really felt safe. Even if I was, I wouldn't feel it. So I would always retreat to my comfort zone straight away after, you know, any kind of exposure. Um, but the problem was if I did decide to push myself out of my comfort zone, I'd do it way too quickly and too and too intensely, almost like to make up for lost time, almost like being afraid of open water and throwing yourself overboard on a ship instead of wading out into the sea bit by bit. You gotta take that stuff slow, man. I have a friend who's just getting into the gym now and he's been going pretty consistently because he has this mindset that at this point, to his mind, just going to the gym is out of his comfort zone, just getting there. You know, part of him might think, oh, it's nothing to go to the gym. And you might think the same with other things like, oh, it's nothing to just go to the gym as a concept. But it's a, it's a kind of a big thing for your mind and for your body that, that hasn't gone for ages or at all. So you have to lead it with love, 
compassion and safety. Imagining your comfort zone as a circle around you and pushing it out a little bit further every day or every week makes the whole ordeal just seem less daunting. And he's taking it slow. He's a naturally tall, broad dude um, that could probably technically or physically lift more weight than he's lifting. But he's taking it slow. Because you need to give yourself time to accept what you're capable of. Otherwise you'll just deny it and be back at square one. I hope that makes sense. If you have an issue leaving your comfort zone, it's often likely to be because over time you've taught your mind and your body that these things aren't safe. So it's going to take a bit of time to do the opposite. So don't rush it. Just keep moving forward a little bit at a time and keep your eyes ahead of you, not on the people who are on completely different tracks, pushing completely different comfort zones to yours. So by all means, get wrapped up and get cozy and comfy as hell, especially while you're listening to me. But just don't stay there. You don't need to. There's wonderful things on the other side. You've got this, and I believe in you. So keep believing in yourself. And with that, I am going to leave you to it. It's been wonderful talking to you. Go be amazing. Please do take care of yourself. Be kind to yourself. And I will speak to you soon. Okay. Bye.